Well, if you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that we've been taking a journey through the book of Psalms, the great hymn book of the Bible, the school book of prayer that teaches us how to pray. Over the last five weeks, we've looked at a different uh, psalm from one of the five books. The Psalter is divided into five books. And uh, this fifth week, we're going to turn to book five. Specifically, we're going to look at the Songs of Ascent, which is very appropriate because next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and there are 15 Psalms of Ascent uh, in the uh, Psalter, Psalm 120 to 134. And these psalms would have been sung by pilgrims as they made their journey to Jerusalem to worship God in His temple as a part of one of the great pilgrim feasts like the Passover. And so it's appropriate for us to look at the Songs of Ascent this Sunday because most likely the disciples, while they were traveling with Jesus to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover on that first Palm Sunday, probably sang some, if not all, of these 15 Psalms of Ascent. In fact, one rabbi points out that the 15 songs of ascent are parallel or connect to the 15 steps that one would have to take to climb the temple. So uh, join me and turn to Psalm 121, which is the most popular song of ascent and my favorite psalm of all, Psalm 121. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his Holy Spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as he pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this beautiful song of ascent that reminds us of where our help comes from, that you are always with us, watching our going and coming, that you keep us from all harm. God, I pray that as we read these words that you might speak afresh and anew to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Psalm 121, listen to God's word. A song of ascent. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not, be, will not slumber Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Here in the reading of God's word, as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And I've always been drawn to Psalm 121 because I, I love to go hiking. I love to climb a, a trail and get to the top of a mountain and look at the panoramic views that are provided from that uh, viewpoint. In fact, if any of you have ever topped a uh, hike to the top of Guadalupe Peak, which is the highest point in Texas, there's a picture of it, 8,750 feet. If you get to the top, there's actually a book that you can sign. And every time I've been to the top of Guadalupe Peak, it's interesting, there's actually a, a, a book there and you sign it, and, and it's always had someone before me write the words of Psalm 121. 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the, the maker of, of heaven and earth. You know, from the top of a mountain, you can see all that God has created. You get this bird's eye view or God's view of all that He's created, and you see how glorious and majestic it is and, and how great our God must be to create so many wonderful things. It also helps us realize how small we are in relation to God's creation, and yet He he cares for us. Yes, I love Psalm 121 because it talks about the hills, and I love climbing to the top of hills. But notice that the Psalter, he writes this psalm not from the top of a hill. No, this is a song of ascent. He's down in the valley. He's making his way up to the hill, most likely the, the, the hill of uh, David, the Mount Zion, the, the Temple Mount, so that he might worship God. But his eye isn't just focused on the hill in Jerusalem. Notice what it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, plural. He's not just looking to the temple mount. No, he's noticing the, the hills that surround Jerusalem. And what do you think he saw on the top of those hills? Well, Eugene Peterson has written a wonderful book. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it. It's, it's really about the Psalms of Ascent, a long obedience in the same direction. And he rightly points out that uh, in quoting in this um, helping explain Psalm 121, that when this psalm was written, most likely King Solomon had already built his temple, and most likely King Solomon had already passed away. And after King Solomon's death, unfortunately, what the people of Jerusalem began to do under King Rehoboam's reign is they began to put shrines and idols and, and, and even male prostitutes and, and all kinds of horrible things on the top of hills to worship false and foreign gods. We actually read about this in 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 21 to 24. It says, Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama the Ammonite. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and ashram on every high hill under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord had drove out before the people of Israel. Rehoboam was a horrible king. He was a horrible king because he allowed the people of Israel to, to do whatever they wanted, to, to build shrines with male prostitutes and, and idols, Asherah poles at the high places on the hills surrounding Jerusalem. As I thought about the idols that the people of Israel so easily succumbed to, I began to wonder, what are the idols that our culture tries to promote? What are the false gods or the idols that our culture tries to tell us that we should pursue above God? As I think about that, I have got to think that probably the primary idol in our consumerist culture is stuff, right? And we're always being told by advertisers, you know, to, to buy this or to buy that, that if we drive this car, we'll have happiness and joy, or we wear these clothes, or we put on this skincare product, or we drink this beverage, and, and we just keep consuming and consuming, and, and eventually what we have to do with all this stuff we've got, we've got to rent self-storage facilities to put it all in, right? It's ridiculous, I was sad to find out that our beautiful home state of Texas was actually the place where self-storage uh, facilities began, outside of Odessa, actually. It was pretty bad. I'm from Midland. Odessa, I'm always, uh, that, that was our competitor in high school. But, you know, in the 1960s, they started the self-storage industry, and it's grown to a $39 billion industry. Every year, self-storage facilities revenue 
39 billion cumulatively. How is that possible? Because we believe the lie that if we just own more stuff, then we'll be happy. But what happens? We buy the stuff. And admittedly, there's a little bit of joy and a little bit of excitement with a new toy or a new car or new clothes. But eventually, they wear out or fashions change. And we've got to get something new. Oh man, it's an endless, tireless thing to chase after the things of this world. Things that prove to be ultimately temporal. Because stuff isn't going to save a marriage. Stuff isn't going to keep you from dying. In fact, when we die, we don't take any of this stuff with us. And sadly, our children and grandchildren have to sort through all of our junk. What are we doing? We know better. We should avoid these idols. Fortunately, as the psalmist approaches the Temple Mount to worship Almighty God, he sees the false idols, the Asherah poles, and the shrines to fertility gods like Baal, and he knows that that's not where his help comes from. He says, no, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? It doesn't come from these idols. It doesn't come from these shrines. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, I actually memorized the New International Version of Psalm 121 back in college. Uh, It's my favorite psalm. And I like the way the NIV translates verse 2. It says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth. Doesn't that sound familiar? The maker of heaven and earth? You know, we say it pretty much every Sunday in this room. When we say the Apostles' Creed, the most recited creed in the history of the church, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Yes, Psalm 121, uh, Psalm 121, verse 2, made it into the Apostles' Creed. It's a pretty significant statement. And it's interesting, in the 16th century, when the uh, Reformers were trying to help teach the faith to new converts, they, they created catechisms, which were basically a question-answer form of teaching to help teach what, the, what we believe in our faith. And as they were trying to explain the Apostles' Creed to new believers, they wrote the Heidelberg Catechism. And in question 26, it actually explains, what do we mean when we say that we believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? And I'm going to ask the question, and then if you can join me in reading the answer together, uh, that would be wonderful. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ created heaven and earth with all that is in them out of nothing. He also upholds and governs his creation by his eternal counsel and providence. He is my God and my Father for the sake of Christ his Son. I trust in him so completely that I have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. We say that believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We're recognizing that all that we have and all that we are is is ultimately a gift from God. He's the one who's made everything. He's the God who provides for us. And in His provision, we see in Psalm 121 that our God will not allow our foot to slip. He will not allow us to be overwhelmed or exhausted by the heat of the sun or the light of the moon. Now, when he says he will not let your foot be moved in verse 3, there's a literal interpretation of that as well as a metaphorical interpretation of that because literally he, he, he's trying to climb a hill that was rocky, uh, trying to get to the Temple Mount to worship God in his temple in Jerusalem. So he does need help climbing. He doesn't want to slip and fall down. And so God does protect his, his every step, his every foot. But if you look at all of the Psalms and all of Scripture, you'll see this idea of, of not letting your foot slip is also a metaphor for 
Well, for not falling into sin. We see this specifically in in Psalm 73. You may remember we discussed that psalm a a few weeks ago when we were talking about book 3. And we read in Psalm 73, verse 2 to 3, Asaph writes this, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph recognizes that his foot almost slipped. His faith almost fell as he, as he almost succumbed to the temptation of, of envy and coveting because as he looked around him, he saw the wicked prospering. And even though he was trying to do the right thing, he was struggling and he felt like it wasn't fair. But if you'll remember, and if you didn't get to see that sermon, you can da- download it on our webpage, Psalm 73 on book 3. But if you remember, Asaph gains clarity when he comes into the sanctuary of our God. Because in worship, God brings clarity. God helps us see that He alone is in control. He alone is the one who provides for us. He is the, alone the one that we should seek to glorify and bring all honor to, that we shouldn't chase after the idols or the things of this world. We shouldn't be envious of what others have. No, we should be focused on God and, and who God is and, and all that God has already done for us. His worship brings clarity. It helps us see who God is and and how our God has always been faithful to us in the past and and how we trust that God will be faithful to us in the future. That's why we we worship God. And in the Presbyterian church, you may remember we talked about the fact that we emphasize that one of the cries of the Reformation was sola de gloria, glory to God alone. We don't pray to saints or anything else. We just pray to God. Our focus and our hearts and minds should all be focused on God and God alone as we read God's word, as we sing praises to God, as we meditate on God's word. And as we give, you know, it's interesting in the Presbyterian church, uh, there are a few elements that are required for a, for a service to be a, a Presbyterian service. You've got to have prayer. You've got to have the reading of God's Word. You've got to have an exposition of some sort of God's Word. And you have to give. Now, I know that it can seem a little self-serving as a Presbyterian minister to say, man, I'm glad we got giving in there. That's you know, a good thing to do. But the reality is that we give as an act of worship and gratitude for all that God has given to us. In fact, giving is the great antidote to greed. One way we can make sure that we resist the temptation to to chase after the things of this world, to, to make idols of stuff, is by giving it away. When we give, it no longer has a hold of us. We've let go of it. How many of us, me included, have clothes that maybe we haven't worn in a year or two Maybe even a decade? (laughs) How much would people benefit by having those clothes if we were to give them away? Or when we give to the work of God's kingdom, you know, our heart follows according to Jesus. He says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And Jesus talks a lot about money because he knew it would be the great temptation for us to, to chase after the things of this world, to chase after money rather than to seek him first and his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto us according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, giving is the great antidote to greed. We give so that we might grow in our faith as we trust God to continue to provide and we see how God can use what He's already given to us and and bless others with it and they too might come to know Him as Lord and Savior. Yes, God in worship helps us from making sure our foot doesn't slip into sin, deadly sins like greed or, or lust or pride or wrath. Now, if we'll turn to God for help, He, he will protect us. He, he will prevent us from falling and chasing after these horrible, deadly sins. 
but not only does he help us from keeping our foot from slipping, he helps prevent exhaustion, and specifically in this text, from, from the exhaustion of the sun or even the moon. For in verse 5 and 6, read, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now you may notice in Psalm 121, the word keep or keeper is mentioned several times. And the Hebrew word for, for keep or, or keeper uh, is shamar, and it can also be translated as watch or guard. In fact, I really like, like the way Eugene Peterson in the message translates that word. In Psalm 121, verse 5 to 6, he writes this, God's your guardian, right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke, sheltering you from moonstroke. Now, I've experienced some sunstroke before. It it is intense. You know, when I was out in Big Bend and it was 100 degrees and it was 33 mile per hour winds, it was hot. And I had to find some shade or I would overheat. And, you know, sunstroke can lead to to death. I mean, it leads to heat exhaustion, sunstroke. It's it's a serious thing. You've got to hydrate, drink lots of water, and you need to get into the shade where it's considerably cooler. I was so grateful that our campsite was at the uh, Cottonwood campsite. So we had lots of cottonwood trees uh, sheltering us from the sun. But what is moonstroke? I've never heard of moonstroke. I was like, Eugene Peterson, did you make that up? What's moonstroke? Well, it's interesting. As I did research on Psalm 121, in ancient times, they believed that the moon, well, the moon made people kind of crazy, specifically full moons. In fact, the Latin word for moon is luna. We get the English word lunacy from luna, right? And the thought was that on a moonlit night, on a full moon night, they noticed that people behaved differently, that they would often act a little crazy. Now, I know we can hear that and go, that seems kind of silly to us, but the fact is that if you, in ancient times, when you didn't have city lights, you know, a starlit night would bring a certain amount of light, but when it was a moonlit night, it was much, much, much brighter. So you went to sleep probably much, much later, and as you stayed up later, you probably did some pretty crazy things. I remember in college, I did some pretty crazy things late at night, right? That stuff doesn't happen early in the morning. It's like late at night, you do stupid stuff, right? And scientists have taught us, too, that, you know, the gravitational pull of the moon causes the tide to rise, to rise which can create problems with the weather, right? So you've got crazy weather, you've got late nights, people can't sleep, they start doing crazy things. And what was really interesting as I was studying this even further, I found this uh, scientific journal that talked about there seems to be a pattern between uh, more extreme symptoms for those who have bipolar disorder on moonlit nights. So there seems to be something to this gravitational pull, late nights, lack of sleep, you know, a lot of anxiety can be caused on a moonlit night. And the psalmist is reminding us that if we will turn to God for help, He will not let our foot slip. He will protect us from the the heat and the sunstroke, the exhaustion that that brings, as well as the exhaustion that that the moon can bring when we're not resting in Him. Yes, the Lord will keep us from all evil. He will keep our lives. The Lord will keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You know, earlier I shared that Psalm 121 is my favorite psalm, and it, it is, but not simply because it talks about hills, which I, I do love hiking and I love the view that hills brings. But Psalm 121 is my favorite psalm because when I was in college, my freshman year, God used this psalm to minister to me in a very powerful way. As many of you know, um, I was recruited to play basketball at Trinity University in San Antonio. Uh, Trinity is a Division three school, so they don't give athletic scholarships. However, as a member of the alumni board, 
I learned uh, several years ago that uh, if they have two students with the exact same SAT, uh, and one is an athlete, a varsity athlete, and the other is not, they will always give the academic scholarship to the varsity athlete. And I was fortunate enough to get one of those. And that's why half the campus played varsity athletics in high school. And that's why we always win the conference bell. You got a school full of athletes getting academic scholarships. Well, uh, my first semester, I was taking this biology class. It was called Evolution, Ecology, uh, and Diversity. And it was a weed-out course for pre-med students. I didn't know that. I was just trying to get science out of the way, so I signed up for it because my best grade in science in high school was biology, forgetting the fact that my lab partner was the valedictorian. So that had something to do with why I made good grades in high school. Anyway, I signed up for the biology class. It's a science lecture hall. It's like 150 people, tons of people in the class. And I'm playing. In the first, semester, first month, I did great. September, I was doing fine in class. But then basketball practice started in October. And we had basketball practice from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. so we wouldn't have to miss any classes. When you're 18 years old, 6 a.m. in college feels really early. And we were getting really tired because the first several practices, God's try, uh, you know, the coach is trying to get you in shape, right? He's overrunning you and we're running lines and doing all kinds of calisthenics to try to get in shape. And so we were exhausted after practice. And I had this class with four other teammates. So we came up with the bright idea that we would each rotate who went, actually went to class and we would take notes, and then we would share notes. That's a horrible idea. Because my classmates, my teammates didn't take good notes, and neither did I, because I'm exhausted. I'm like, we're falling asleep in class. We're so tired. So anyway, my grades plummeted. It was not good. And uh, as it turned out, I made the JV team at Trinity. And, but I was on this academic scholarship that required me to maintain a 3.25 average. And if I didn't maintain it, I could lose my scholarship. Well, after a C in biology, I was in trouble. I was on academic probation. So I was desperate. I was like, man, I got to quit basketball, just playing in murals. I'm done with practice, and uh, I need to focus on school. Well, spring semester started. I put on, you know, my, my thinking cap. I said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to really bust out with academics. I'm going to focus on school, go to the library every day. And, and I intentionally signed up for classes that I thought would be easy. For instance, I had, uh, I had three years of Spanish in high school. So I signed up for the intro Spanish class because hablo espanol, no problema, right? So I thought, oh, this will be, this will be easy. I'll make an easy A in that class. I heard that the accounting one course, this one professor was really easy. So I said, well, I'll take accounting one from him. So I signed up for his class, and the first assignment was very easy. And so I always did the first assignment. My first homework assignment from accounting, I turned it in. I thought, for sure, I'm going to make 100. I'm going to start the semester off right. Well, as he's explaining the problems from the night's homework, I realized I did the wrong problems. I misread the syllabus. I made a big zero on my first assignment. I felt like an idiot. I felt like a loser. I felt defeated. Well, by God's grace and providence, I had a lunch appointment with the InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship staff member of Trinity University, and he was going to teach me how to lead a Bible study because I was going to start leading a Bible study in my dorm room. Well, he could see how distraught I was and depressed and upset. And he said, Howard, instead of talking about how to lead a Bible study, I want to share my favorite psalm with you. He turned to Psalm 121. He had me read it with him. I lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he, will, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And he encouraged me to read Psalm 121 every day, to meditate on it, memorize it, and pray it before I did my schoolwork, to ask God to help me with my schoolwork. Well, I just made a zero on an accounting homework problem. I was desperate. So I was like, okay, God, I'll do it. And so every day, I read Psalm 121, I began to read it, meditate, memorize it. 
I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The sun shall not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord watches over you. He watches over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And I felt God's peace as I would pray that and look to God for help. What was interesting was after that conversation, uh, Trinity University is on a hill in San Antonio. In fact, the tower, the Trinity Tower, is the highest point in San Antonio. Technically, the Hemisphere Tower is the tallest building in San Antonio, but it's down low. Trinity is on top. And so when you're on Trinity, you can see the beautiful uh, view of the city uh, from the hill. And as I was having lunch on this hill, I was walking down. And at the time, I was taking an English class on American literature, Puritans to Romantics. And our English professor had said to us, He said, you know, you can't really understand the metaphors of the earliest English American writers until you read the Bible. He said, I'm Jewish. He said, he was Jewish. I've read the Old Testament my whole life, but I actually read the New Testament so that I could understand the metaphors that Nathaniel Hawthorne and Herman Melville are using to really understand and appreciate what it is they're saying in their writing. And he pointed out that as you look at the writings of the earliest Puritan American writers, all of them talk about God in some way because, well, that was the focus of their lives. In fact, if you were to look at the landscapes in American history in the earliest years, all you could see were the top of trees and steeples, reminding them that God was always there, that he was the maker of heaven and earth. Well, as I'm on the top of this hill at Trinity, and I've just had this transformative conversation with my InterVarsity Christian Fellowship leader, I I said, I'm going to read Psalm 120, I'm going to keep doing it. I got to the top of this hill, and I looked out, and all I could see were the top of trees and a steeple of Trinity Baptist Church, right next to Trinity University. And I was reminded that my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, that I don't have to be afraid. And I know that my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, that as I look at the hills, I know that there's one hill just right outside of Jerusalem, the hill of Golgotha, where God showed us his ultimate help, that he was going to be not only with us, but for us, when he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, who was without sin, but became sin for us when he was crucified on that hill on Golgotha so many years ago. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Our, our sins have been atoned for. And Jesus proved to be who he said he was when he, when he resurrected on the third day and, and spoke to his disciples. And, and before he ascended to heaven in the gospel of Matthew, he tells his disciples, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. As the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that our God demonstrates his great love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and nothing can separate us from the unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Our God is with us, there to help us if we will turn to him in our time of need. As Paul writes in Romans 8, 38 to 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from love of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. The next time we become anxious and worried, fearful about what the future may hold, let's turn to Psalm 121 and remember who holds the future, that our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let our foot slip. He will not ever leave us. He will watch over and keep our going and coming both now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you for the truth of Psalm 121, that you are always watching over us, keeping us, protecting us, 
not allowing us to fall into deadly sins, Lord, as we turn to you for help. You will give us a way out. Oh God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would guide us. Help us to be your faithful disciples. In anxious times, Lord, may we turn to you for help, knowing that you are where our help is found. Not to the idols of this world, not to the stuff of this world, but to you alone, oh God. And Lord, help us to be mindful of your constant presence in our lives, that we might bring glory and honor to you in all that we say and do. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.